Do you care about your people? Do you listen to your people? Are you there for your people? Are you in the present? Are you authentic when you say people are our number one? If we take care of our people, they will take care of our mission. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm J.R. Flatter. I'm here with my co-host, Lucas, and this is our podcast, Building a Coaching Culture. And we're very honored to have as our distinguished guest here today, someone that Lucas and I have been working with for a long time, but really, this will be our our first really in-depth conversation, Lori Sergener. And Lori, we're going to allow you to introduce yourself in a second, but I was just going to remind everybody who our ideal listener is, who we're speaking to. And it's really any leader of a complex organization that's competing in this 21st century labor market in their efforts to become an employer of choice. So it's no secret to anyone on this call that there's a great resignation going on, the labor market's hyper-competitive, and that's not going away anytime soon. So Lori, with that said, jump in here, and I want you to brag about yourself. It's Lucas and I brag about you all the time, but it'd be more meaningful for you to do it. Well, thank you. First of all, I'm honored to be here. It's a very humbling experience. It's for me an opportunity that gives me a platform to share a little, you know, that dreaded question. Tell us a little bit about yourself, right? Leadership, leadership development, coaching, and how I got to where I was today. And honestly, my journey started when I was in first grade, believe it or not. And uh, I'm only going to talk about those key experiences. So, you know, not going to go all the way back, but my parents and grandparents were very involved in my life from the very beginning and taught me a lot of lessons. But the biggest lessons that were really learned and really left an impact on my life as I grew up were the ones that I was actually experiencing for myself. Those experiences where my parents and my grandparents weren't around And one of those things, for example, public speaking, first grade, right? That's where I first learned public speaking. Um, I was in a Catholic school. I went to a Catholic school. We went to mass every day as first graders, and I got to say the Lord's Prayer, probably on an average of three to six times a month. Really enjoyed that. And then I went on to second grade, and that's where I learned about followership and leadership because I was a bluebird, which is like a prequel to the Girl Scouts. And then I went on to learn about how to be strong and have a kind heart and treat others with love from a teacher in third grade that bullied me. So you wouldn't think that that would be something that a young child would learn from being heavily handed throughout their third grade year. But I did. I learned how to not treat people. And I told myself I would never make anybody feel like that. And that's how we learn how not to be. So I've never forgotten her. And, uh, you know, I learned how to work with teams. I learned that I like through the rest of my elementary school. And then we fast forward to junior high and high school and my sense of team grew. I continued to grow in leadership by those learning lessons and trust, 
authenticity, being present was so important. Taking responsibility, all of those things prepared me to serve 21 years in the United States Air Force, which I'm proud to have done. And what are some of those defining moments? I have, I have really, there's tons, but there's two that really grew me as a person and as a leader. And one of those defining moments was being charged with standing at the fax machine, if that gives you any idea of how far back we go. And I had the displeasure of waiting at that fax machine for a list of the deceased during the bombing of the Cobar Towers. And unfortunately, my children's father's name on that list. I did not. Thank God he was a survivor. He did lose a couple of his airmen. But that was a truly defining moment for me because not only what, did I have a personal tie to that, but there was a professional tie to it. And it taught me in that moment what it was all about, what it was all about, how connection is so important, how knowing that people are dying for this cause is so important. And what does that mean in giving back? And the other experience that I had was really the whole time and the whole tour that I had of being an Air Force First Sergeant. Wow. Talk about a rewarding time in my service, helping people. I learned something from previous leader. You help people and you help one airman at a time. And I really had a lot of wins during my first sergeant duties. And that propelled me to go on into civil service. And I was fortunate enough to be hired on to be an assignment officer for our Air Force chaplains, where I grew and I learned about officership. And I was put into that career field so that I could learn how to help people more, give back. When we have folks coming back, airmen coming back, soldiers coming back from war or from hard, challenging TDYs, what those chaplains' jobs were really taught me a lot about myself as well. And then from there, I was selected to manage, in my professional opinion, one of the hardest programs there is in the Air Force, and that's our Exceptional Family Member Program for our Air Force families, as well as the humanitarian assignments for our Air Force members who have loved ones at home that have a life expectancy. And we want them to share that time, that lasting time with their loved ones. That's when it really come down to, it's not about numbers, it's about people. It's about helping those people and going above and beyond and looking past policy sometimes. And that's what it took and very rewarding. Some tears were shed, but there were some laughs along the way too. And really appreciated that. And then I moved into the career broadening program for the Air Force where it brought me to where I'm at now in AATC, Air Education and Training Command down here at Randolph in San Antonio. I was a career broadener. I went through an entire directorate learning about personnel, civilian and military. And then by the time it was over, I was asked to stand up a civilian force development division and grow that. And we are almost five years going strong now. And now we've gone into the coaching aspect of what we do. And I got to tell you, this has been the epitome of my entire career, both military and civilian. It's just like the cherry on top. All those lessons I learned from elementary school, junior high, high school, my Air Force career, all of it has been brought together for coaching because being present, having that authenticity of being you, owning your own truth, 
And allowing folks to see that in themselves has just been the most rewarding. And so that's a little bit about me and my journey and the things that made me who I am today. And again, thank you for this opportunity because these kind of things mean the world to me. And it's probably the best part of my job ever. So thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate it. No, it's our pleasure. And we're honored to have you. So Lucas and I'll go back and forth a little bit. And so uh, I'll start out if you don't mind. You got this story of success and a lot of our listeners are finding their way. If you could give advice to yourself five years ago, what would that advice look like? Knowing what you know now. Be the example. Do what you say you're going to do and stick to it. Be there for them. Leadership is so often not about us. Yes, we want to grow as leaders. We want to become better leaders as we move up, whether it's through the ranks or responsibilities that we take on. If we move into larger landscapes of business, managing programs, leading people, it's not enough to just tell people what to do or ask them if they will do something. It's just not enough, especially as you said, JR, early on about the great resignation and the change in our world right now affects everything we do. And so you can't open new doors with old ways. You just can't. And there has to be a better way to do this. And true leadership, authentic leadership is not about the leader. It's all about being the example and meaning something, owning your own truth and showing that with your folks. You know, I have learned that people will watch what you do before they listen to what you say. And if they don't match, you will have issues. And it's so important that people know they can count on you as a leader. And that would be my advice to myself. So I enjoyed hearing about your background and how kind of these pivotal moments took place that kind of you carry with you still. It's really nice to hear. And I guess when you kind of grow up in an organization, you're kind of managing more people. Do you still have those opportunities to have those one-on-ones where you feel like you're making a personal impact on people? Yeah, great question, Lucas. And absolutely, I do. Part of my journey includes becoming a ICF certified coach, and I'm almost there. I am a certified coach for the Air Force, and so I have plenty of clients, and I have opportunities every day to help my team, lead my team, have one-on-ones, and do mentoring as well. But with coaching, there's something special about that time that I have with my clients, and I look forward to each meeting each one of them every month. And I know it's not supposed to be about us as coaches, but I will tell you, it is so rewarding. And I could have the longest, roughest day at work, but knowing that I have a client coming up and I spend that time with that client just rejuvenates me and re-energizes me. And so, yes, the bottom line is, yes, I do have those opportunities and, and I take advantage of every single one of them. So you're almost there. You'll have to let us know when you get there and we'll celebrate with you. Absolutely. So you said you're a Air Force certified coach and then talk about becoming an International Coaching Federation coach. What's the value of that ICF accreditation to you as a coach and or to the leader that you're coaching? Yeah, great question. Um, For me, it's about the continued learning process. It's about letting people know and letting my clients know that I took that extra step. It took the extra tools to learn more about 
the journey that I'm on, what I can provide them. And with ICF, it tells my clients that I dedicated myself more formally, if you will, to the coaching community globally. And for me, I always feel like if you have an opportunity to credential what you've practiced and put so much time and effort into it, why not? Why not do that? And not only that, but I wholeheartedly believe in all of the concepts and competencies that ICF has put out and what they believe in and what they want our coaches to have. And that means a lot to me as a coach. And so why not? And even though I meet the criteria to coach my clients now, it's just not enough for me. I'm hungry and I want to, as I said, become a better leader, become a better coach. And how do you do that? You keep on going. You keep growing. You keep learning. You keep teaching yourself. And you share those experiences with other coaches. I did 104 academic credits through CTI, which is the Coaching Training Institute, one of the first ones to provide ICF accredited academic duties and responsibilities. And so it was very personal for me. My journey started out with self-reflection, understanding who I am as a person so that I can better serve my clients. And I have less than 40 hours to go to submit all my paperwork for ICF. I've done my mentoring uh, coaching. I've got my recordings. And so I'm ready to go. But yeah, it's a journey that I don't want to end. And I feel like ICF is one of those pinnacles, if you will, in such a important aspect of what we do in everyday life. And, and I will tell you that it concerns me that we're not as regulated as we should be. And I feel like ICF helps us coaches in understanding what it is we're there for and help regulate us in terms of taking care of our clients and, and knowing when we need to refer them out and when not to. So that's how I feel about ICF and why it's important to me and why I want to keep going with my coaching journey and, and my uh, coaching path. So aside from the kind of one-on-one formal coaching relationships, are there any benefits that you're seeing by having coaches trained in an organization level? Oh my goodness, yes. So we have a community of practice that we uh, conduct every month, and I lead that. And uh, it's all of our DAF coaches. And uh, what an amazing team. And we share those experiences across the board. And I have to tell you that the wins that we all share all have to do with, even if they're not coaching someone one-on-one. So if we take away just the client aspect of it, they're using those coach-like skills across the board when they're talking with teams or peers or even their leaders in terms of those compelling questions, right? Those powerful questions that get people motivated because they feel empowered. They feel like, hey, they really care about what I think. And if I get to see and get my voice heard, then maybe I'll get a chance to show what I can do. And so absolutely, and across the enterprise, what an awesome thing to shoot for, to build a coaching culture across the Department of the Air Force, because I really feel like it's a missing piece. This beautiful puzzle of all of these facets of what we do every day and the piece that really brings us together is the coaching piece. And that's a close neighbor or cousin to mentoring. And so with those things in mind, I really believe that we're helping a lot of folks just in terms of giving them a voice. And allowing them to, you know, participate 
in ways that they may not have thought of before. And so it's been very rewarding. And a lot of the coaches have seen those changes even in their areas of expertise and in their organizations. For example, there's been a couple of folks that would not normally participate in certain team events, but through coach-like skills and through some encouragement, they are now just as participative as some of the other ones that were already participative. And it's because they were given a chance to speak and say, hey, I got this idea. Well, great. Tell me about it. Just simple things like that have really made a difference. And our coaches have brought that to our attention to let us know. So yeah, absolutely, Lucas. We've seen some changes for the positive and for the better. You talk about coaching culture. You know, you and I are engaged in creating internal coaches to work within not just your organization, but other organizations. To go back and, if you will, evangelize coaching in their uh, organizations. Can you talk to us about the path to building internal coaches and what that might look like in a complex organization? Because you've been there and done that. So I'm sure there's some things that you could tell us that your peers who are trying to do or are beginning to do it would benefit from. And just to clarify, are you looking for my input as to how we're moving forward and what that looks like for us right now versus what we did pre-coaching? Let's talk about both. We have time. Okay. Yeah. So pre-coaching, I feel like obviously everything is tripled in size the larger you go in an organization. So I know that pre-coaching, we've noticed some changes in behaviors over the last few years across our enterprise. Behaviors that we think possibly with coaching, maybe these behaviors would have been different because the choices would have been different. And what I mean by that is maybe if someone had a coach to talk to, they would have decided to stay in the Air Force and maybe not go out of the Air Force because of something that they didn't understand or they were stuck in that thinking and didn't really have another perspective to look at it from. So coming from a post now or while we're in the coaching perspective, I will tell you that I believe the larger the organization, the more centralized it needs to be. And I will tell you why. Some of the lessons that we've learned is we know that we have some very, very talented people across the enterprise. And a lot of folks want to start their own, their own little pockets of whatever program it is that they're doing. So it could be mentoring, it could be coaching. But one thing that our leaders wanted to make sure is that if we're going to do this in an impactful way, let's centralize it so that we can maintain a quality level of coaches that understand the expectations of Across the board, and there aren't different expectations depending on which organization you're from, belonging to the Department of the Air Force. And then let's get everyone together on a regular basis and talk about those things, talk about those expectations and making sure that we're all working under the same umbrella with the same, you know, marching orders in terms of what we expect out of our coaches and then how we treat our clients. And when does that relationship start? So all those little things are important and important for the coaches to understand across the board. And so the last thing that we want right now is these little pockets popping up with coaching organizations here and there, and it jeopardizes the integrity of the centralized program that we're trying to move forward. 
So I would say, JR, that that's probably the biggest thing for me that stands out is just making sure that we centralize it so that we can focus on doing this right and having the biggest impact. Not to say that those little pop-ups wouldn't be impactful, but we want to make sure that we don't jeopardize what we've so worked hard for in making sure that everyone is singing off the same sheet of music and we're taking care of our clients under the right auspice of the ICF core competencies. So most of our organizations aren't as complex as yours are. Uh, You have 700,000 plus and more if you count some of the stakeholders. Where should I start the conversation if I want to start this project, this transformation? Is it in the C-suite? Is it in the frozen middle? Is it from bottom up? Where do I start? That's a great question. So I'm going to answer with the two-parter. The first answer that I'd like to give you for that question is, I really think it depends on how that organization is designed. So if the C-suite is open to the mid-level coming to them and saying, hey, we've got this idea that we think will really move our organization a little more smoothly and help our employees, then I would say probably doesn't matter where it comes from. Or I could say that if an organization cares about their most valuable asset, and that's their people, then I would say it wouldn't matter where it came from either. But I was telling from a larger landscape organization, such as the enterprise here, the Department of the Air Force, it came from the top. It came from the, the C-suite folks. It came down. Why was I more experiencing coaching long before we were able to have this, what we have right now, which is trying to build this culture across the rest of the Air Force. So that buy-in was already there. So I could see where it could work both ways, but I think what's so important, depending on where it comes from, do you care about your people? Do you listen to your people? Are you there for your people? Are you in the present? Are you authentic when you say, People are our number one. If we take care of our people, they will take care of our mission, whether that's on a small scale or a large scale. I think that's where everyone has to look and say, okay, we're going to swallow our pride and we're going to look at this and say, you know what? We need to invest in our people. Let's do this coaching thing. And that's where I come from that. I do have some experiences with outside industry and it boils down to what's important to them. What do they value as their most valuable asset? Is it the bottom line? If you're making profit, you want to do well. But if you don't have the people to do the jobs and people are walking out, as you said, referring to the great resignation, then we need to do something different. We need to do something different. And these people, our most valuable asset, they need to know that we care as leaders, that they fit into the organization and that they're an important piece. I probably gave you more information than, than you were hoping for, JR, but very passionate about that and how our organizations deal with that. I mean, I mean, we see Amazon on television all the time, different medical organizations on TV pushing different training and learning 
platforms. And it's all because they want their folks to learn and they want them to learn better. So let's make them better and let's give them something that they can call their own while they're going through these tough times. So yeah, that's my piece for today on that. We like to talk a lot about, you know, these success stories where maybe somebody has heard about coaching and they fold their arms and they think, oh, that's not for me. What's the point of opening up to people? What would you say to some people that might be more apprehensive about, you know, adopting this kind of a culture? Believe it or not, I've had one or two clients that were a little apprehensive, but were courageous enough to dive in and allow me to go on their journey. And I think that was the compelling questions, those powerful questions that really got them because they weren't expecting that. They were expecting me to tell them what they needed to do. And I think the biggest question so far with all my clients that I've seen have the most impact, they'll start off with, here's my challenge. Here's what I'm really thinking. And I don't know why I'm thinking that. And so I'll just look at them and say, what do you value? And they look at me like, why are you asking me that question? That's not, <laughs> that's not what I want to hear. I mean, and I just, you know, I try to strip away some of the things that are all jumbled in their, in their minds because they're trying to figure out this problem. And by the second session, they've had some aha moments. They are in. They don't know what this thing is, but they know that they're making some progress. And I just want to tell folks, those that seem a little hesitant or a little suspicious about how this all works. Again, not about the coach, right? It's all about them. And they already have the answer. It's just getting them unstuck so that they can see different perspectives. And it's really rewarding as a coach. And so I would just, I would just push that forward. And I've even had somebody say, look, my supervisor really wanted me to do this. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm just not real keen on on this coaching thing. So what do you got for me? And I'll just use a couple exercises and say, hey, what do you think? Okay, well, we'll go one more session. By four or five more sessions, yeah, they're sold. That would be my advice is, what do you have to lose? Or more importantly, what do you have to gain? Yeah, Lucas is a certified coach too. I think all of us could tell stories about somebody coming in and I do a lot of mentor coaching and also I do a lot of coaching instruction. And so in that coaching instruction, we have practice exams that it's a coaching session, which I'm evaluating. So I've had husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, brothers and brothers, mothers and daughters, and they come in the room and they're doing a favor to somebody. Yeah, I'll come. I'll be your leader. And the amount of times they have real discovery and sometimes life-changing discovery, it just blows my mind. I see it again and again, but it never ceases to amaze me the, how powerful this is. So uh, talk to us about your journey, getting the knowledge, skills, abilities, experiences to be a coach. Is it an arduous journey? Is it a fulfilling journey? Oh, my goodness. It has been life-changing for me. I think that's probably the two most powerful words that I can think of when it comes to coaching. And it all started with that very first prerequisite course that I had to take before I could uh, go on to my other courses with CTI. And it was five days of self-reflection, understanding powerful questions, using different avenues, different modalities to communicate. And 
there were certain things, certain questions that we would ask each other. And I'm like, wow, I wish I would have had this 10 years ago. It's really helped me be a better person, a better woman, a better employee, a better leader, a better follower, a better friend. I like to think of myself as a servant leader because I just like to help people and not just help them, not enable them, but encourage them, support them, teach them. I've always been of that type of personality. Coaching compounded that for me. It just was such a beautiful thing to see blossom. And I knew from that day forward, this is what I'm going to do. Whether I do it in the Air Force, whether I, once I retire, I continue on, but this is who I am and I'm well connected. I'm connected with myself. It's helped me in terms of if I run into conflict, whether it's professionally or personally, I've learned how to relook at things. And if I do run into conflict, it's amazing how a powerful question can just turn people around and they start thinking about things and then it becomes more collaborative and less combative. So I have to tell you, JR, just for me, life-changing. And I will continue down this path until something tells me that I need to turn the corner and do something else. I don't see that happening. I see myself just continuing to grow. I do that through books, through webinars, through seminars. And the fact that I get to do this with all of you and the Flatter organization as part of my job, I really feel like, gosh, can I have this much fun and get paid for it? I don't know. And oh, let's remember I'm working for the government. So, (laughs) but I do, I look forward to getting up every morning and coming in and, you know, coaching came in right at the right time for me. I'll tell you the same thing I told a very senior executive yesterday who was saying similar things. It's a, it's a labor of love for us. Love that. It's our tradition that Lucas gets the last question. So we've talked a lot about getting outside of your comfort zone, getting a perspective through powerful questioning and that kind of thing. Do you have anything in your life, any hobbies or any activities that you think have kind of allowed you to gain more perspective outside of, you know, the work environment? Yes. And probably some of our listeners are going to go, yeah, I do that too. And other listeners are going to go, really? Adult coloring. (laughs) Oh, that's a new one. (laughs) Oh, I know. I I love it. Like the business of our business every day, but you're at home and the lists, you know, all the to-do list, right? There's some anxiety with that. And so adult coloring with professional adult coloring utensils. I mean, this is a big thing, right? You can really put a lot of money into this. Really helps me with that. It helps me recenter. And then I love to paint. I love to paint. So that is very therapeutic for me. It recenters me. It helps me think about, believe it or not, when I'm going through certain aspects of my coaching modalities and powerful questions. Sometimes it'll help me go back and think about some of the sessions I've had with my clients. But yeah, painting, anything that allows me to envision color, it's almost like music, right? Different colors bring different moods. You know, I didn't know how you all would take that, but some people are on the coloring bandwagon with me. Others are like, really? But yeah, I love it. I love it. 
my wife has done those in the past for sure and i i do like cartoon drawing yeah. so I'm, I'm definitely probably more open-minded about that <laughs> <laughs> well that concludes this episode of building a coaching culture i truly hope that this episode was helpful to you if it was be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.